I'm so nonviolent that I'll be violent to prove how nonviolent I am. <laughs> Morning, evening, or otherwise, no script listeners, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. We are thrilled to have you with us for another conversation about one of theater's best scripts, as Jackson said. And today is a script that is a historical script in the world of theater. One of those scripts that marks a turning point in the landscape of Western drama. Yeah, absolutely. This play uh, kind of concerns a, a shift in a culture, cultural time frame as well. Uh, a series of plays that came out of this kind of uh, uh, moment in history. Uh, today we are talking about Look Back in Anger by John Osborne. It's a really interesting play, a lot of fodder for conversation. It'll be interesting to see what things that we talk about with this play, what we end up spending our slightly less than an hour on. But before we get there, we do want to ask everybody to go on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. That's patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, where you can become a supporter of the show. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the work that we're doing. We love to do it. We love to talk about scripts. We hope that these conversations are fruitful and insightful and intriguing for you. The feedback that we've gotten from our listeners says that they are, and we're hoping that you're willing to help us do these conversations because they're just not free to do. There's a monetary element that goes into it that we're asking you to pitch in to help support. This episode, we are really pleased to announce that we have another $5 a month patron. That's another producer-level yeah, yeah. patron. Uh, we're really thrilled, and we want to say a big thank you to Kyle and Lisa Tenholzen, who have supported the show. Yeah, thank you both so much. Uh, Kyle and Lisa are longtime supporters of the show as listeners and uh, just recently uh, joined at that $5 tier where you get producer credit for being a, a regular patron on our Patreon site. And uh, they, as long as the rest of our supporters over at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast are seeing the patron-only posts that are over there. We're really grateful to them. They're longtime friends of ours, too, so we're excited to announce them on the show. And we hope that you will consider going over there. Again, for as little as $1 a month, you can do enormous good to help us continue this show that we love to do. Yes. So we'll see you over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. But for now, back to the script. Jackson stole it from me. Stole it, precious. It's, it's happened. It. Well, we have to pay for that. Was that a long enough reference that like Lord of the Rings could come after us? Yeah, I'm sure the they're Tolkien gonna find it. Absolutely, they're gonna track us right down and just nail us for that one. They'll be so uh, angry about it, and yeah. that's the segue. Back Nailed to it. look back in anger. <laughs> <laughs> this play received its premiere in 1957. It is written by John Osborne. Um, 1957 in Britain, uh, and, and that's probably an important element that I don't want to breeze too quickly past. This play is a very British play. Um, we'll suss out some of those themes, but it's set in Britain. Um, I, I think we've uh, before talked about uh, annoy annoyances at it being set in the present. Uh, this, this play is set in the present in England, but that present is 1957. <laughs> in Midlands, which is uh, the middle part of England. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, so, and uh, this play received its premiere there at the uh, Royal Court Theater in London. Um, there, there, there were a number of productions back then. There's, there's some stuff. It's Royal Court in uh, May of 1956. Uh, it was under the direction of Tony Richardson, and uh, that play, uh, that play itself. Uh, there's, the, there aren't uh, like big names that are in that play or anything, but the play itself set off a movement in English theater called the Angry Young Man Plays. Um, I think we, we might wait till after the synopsis to kind of unwrap that term completely, because what happens in the play gives it that name. But just keep Angry Young Men Plays in the back of your mind. Right, and it's a movement throughout a lot of literature, too, not just drama. There, There's this group of... Uh, artists called the angry young men and, and yeah we'll talk about them and more recently there have been some productions 2012 off broadway the roundabout theater you can actually watch some scenes from that production online and i'm a director more than anything else and the direction of that play is so interesting it's a high concept production and it, the the entire thing takes place in a ribbon of perhaps six feet uh, from upstage to downstage, and then the full length of the stage side to side. Uh, so they really cram the set, this this a small apartment set, really right on top of the audience, right at the edge of the stage. Uh. And you can watch interviews with the director and, and the acting team as they talk about that was one of their ideas for this production was that part of the play is about these people crammed on top of each other in these little tenement apartments in, in a a in a large midland town as the setting says so that, that that's a really cool production concept i love stuff like that um that that play had adam driver in it and then it's also notably known for a movie that you can watch yeah it's a pretty well uh casted movie it's a pretty stellar stellar group of people kenneth branagh plays uh the main character of the play and emma thompson plays the the kind of the other main uh character of the play these two uh, individuals who are married who we'll get to in just a second that production was in 1989 it was was a movie, and notably, uh, now Dame Judi Dench uh, directed the play before she was uh, knighted. Um, uh, she she directed that uh, staging of the play that was recorded. It's a it's pretty much just a stage play that some cameras are uh, where where the audience would be. So uh, I would definitely recommend. Uh, I, I would I would probably highly recommend checking out the scene from that to kind of get the tone of some of this script because well, it's a, a it, tone of some of the script, right? I mean, Kenneth yeah. Branagh takes a, a very particular view of Jimmy that yeah. it'll be interesting to see. That is not at all how I read the script. <laughs> Me and either. not at all how other people have played Jimmy either. So <laughs> yeah. that's sort of an interesting, uh, if you want to check out uh, Kenneth Branagh's particular version of Jimmy, which is maybe uh, a less angry young man, at least in that particular scene. Right. <laughs> maybe um, cantankerous. We'll talk about it. We'll tell yeah. you. It's, it's cool. We'll talk about it. Um, the play is, uh, like Jackson said, mid-20th century, set in England, in a large town in the middle of England, in a uh, an attic apartment. This is an apartment building of the time where there were shared hallway bathrooms and then small kitchens and bedrooms, sort of a one-room situation, uh, slightly larger than what we would modern-day describe as a studio, um, but but not very large at all, Very uh, a fairly confined, claustrophobic space in which lives Jimmy Porter and Allison Porter. They are married. They are married about four years, we're given to believe, and they're not very wealthy, as you can see by their situation. Also, who lives in the building and spends quite a bit of time in the Porter's apartment is Cliff Lewis, a well Welsh friend of theirs, and 
The plot is this, and this is sort of part of the movement of literature, what's called kitchen sink drama sometimes. It's not a sort of a well-made plot in the in the in the literature sense of the phrase, right? There isn't like a, this happens and, and then it, it all works out to resolve on this specific issue at the end of the time. It's, it's about the life of these people. And what happens in, in the life of these people is that Jimmy's an abusive spouse. And uh, he, he has a lot on his mind, a lot on his heart that he feels the world has treated him and people like him really unjustly. And that ends up in him lashing out at his wife, Allison, who is... Uh, originally from a higher class, a wealthier upbringing. And uh, Jimmy is from something like a middle upbringing and now is just sort of a a manual laborer. He runs a sweet shop, even though he's college educated. And and so because of his sort of boiling political, social, religious anger about uh, the way the country is split in terms of class division, he takes that out on his wife. And his, his friend Cliff, who lives there, is also sort of a you know, they would call it a common man throughout the show, whatever that really means in our, in our modern day society. He also works at the sweet shop. Anyway, um, this is sort of brought to a head when Allison's friend from, from her wealthy upbringing, Helena, who's now an actress, uh, comes to stay in the apartment building. Not in their apartment, but she takes a spare room downstairs. Helena uh, sees what's going on, sees the terrible treatment that Allison is getting, and convinces Allison to leave, to return to her parents' house, uh, at least largely in part because Allison is pregnant. She's not told Jimmy this. She's kept it a secret. She's not sure what's going to happen. She's almost sure that Jimmy's going to be upset about it in some way or another. Uh, so Helena <laughs> convinces Allison to go back to her family. And then while Allison's gone, Helena gets together with Jimmy. Uh, that's an interesting part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they, Jimmy and Helena hate each other for much of the play, or at least appear to, and then end up together. And Helena and Jimmy are together. Eventually, Allison returns to what is now Helena and Jimmy's flat to discover that uh, Allison's lost the baby, to, to tell everybody that Allison's lost the baby. And uh, Helena realizes when Allison returns that she's been wrong this whole time. She leaves Jimmy, and then Allison and Jimmy maybe get back together? Yeah, very quickly make up in some way and uh, end the play together, at least. <laughs> so, as you can see, this is this is sort of a, a life happens kind of a play and not the sort of well-plotted plays of the early 20th century where there's very specific plot devices utilized and very specific kinds of moments that happen across the course of this thing. And that's part of the, the historical significance of this play. It's what one of the early examples of this sort of kitchen sink drama. It takes place in somebody's apartment. In fact, one of the early kind of mythos about the play is that people fainted or were aghast to see an ironing board on the stage. Right. How wild! <laughs> somebody's real house where they were doing the real ironing and they were just, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It's on a stage that right. I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of an in, that brings up an interesting point in, in that like this this is a uh, a kind of a difference in w- what we view as drama as in terms of what 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 is interesting to us in in a dramatic space as as an American audience is different to an English audience. This is a play about class and and structures of class and what happens behind the closed doors of families that you know you never really see inside these like tenement apartment buildings. So this play is is well, a very 
about British class play. and it's specifically about the lower class, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of the big changes, the big reasons why this play is so significant. It's not about wealthy people in their summer homes right. where <gasps> a murder is discovered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a very uh, kind of naturalistic, very realistic play about just the lives of people and, and what's going on inside this. It's, it's basically a house that has been split into apartments and these people are living in the attic like the 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 a-framed attic of this house and you get to kind of see the 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 dirty clothes literally that are literally, around the place yeah, that, yeah that's a great that's a great way of describing it because that's the opening image and you have to imagine the opening image is intentional here not only shock and awe which i i sort of suspect osborne was after knowing that he was going to put somebody ironing their you know their their laundry on stage but also this image of laundry the the stuff that the most intimate stuff laid out for us in front of us in fact in the very first scene cliff the the friend character has to remove his trousers so that they can get ironed on stage i mean yeah. bearing the sort of intimate private life stuff yeah so and 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 i mean that that carries throughout what this play does pretty well is object negotiation we like to talk about in this play and and throughout this play there's a negotiation over over clothing as we've mentioned clothing is taken off and ironed and given back and put back on remarked upon by everyone newspapers newspapers frequently are fought over people themselves like people's bodies are fought over vehemently throughout this play um cliff and jimmy get into all sorts of like not all sorts two or three distinct moments of like wrestling match that end up like knocking over parts of the set into other characters so there's a lot of this kind of really physical nature object negotiation throughout this play as as the different characters kind of vie not necessarily for power just to maybe stop jimmy every once in a while (laughs) Well, that's it, right? Is Jimmy is the angry young man. And that's not to say that all of the quote-unquote angry young men plays are about angry young men. The angry young men are actually a group of artists, the the people that created this work. Osborne is the angry young man of the angry young men movement. In fact, some would argue the person that really created the movement whole cloth. Um, but this play is about an angry yeah. young man. <laughs> Jimmy is upset and cruel am i right i mean he's cruel oh yeah absolutely he is he um he he is not afraid to rip people down until they until he gets a reaction from him a lot of people try different uh tactics to try to deal with jimmy throughout this play um cliff seems to be uh eternally um, able to sw- to kind of patiently deal with what he's throwing at him and throw back some stuff every once in a while to keep him interested. And, and Allison has that tactic too. However, it's like Jimmy's main goal to break that tactic out of Allison throughout this play. Like she tries her best to uh, just deal with this maelstrom that is Jimmy. And over and over, he just keeps pushing, trying to break the veneer of whatever she's trying to hold together. I want to read you, Jackson, two quotes about Jimmy. I'm interested in how you respond to them. One is from a review of the play. One is from the play itself. So first, this is a quote from a New York Herald Tribune uh, uh, review of, of the play itself. So here's what it says. 
The hero of John Osborne's angry play is a tousle-haired, dirty-sweated, violently embittered young tyrant who keeps his devoted wife in an attic hovel, sneers at her mother as an appetizing lump of worm bait, does her physical violence, betrays her the instant another pair of arms coils about his neck, and stares with cold, blank indifference at the news that their expected child has been born dead. You're asked to believe that two women love this volcano of ceaseless, sputtering venom. You believe it. The truth about this conscienceless sadist is that he is absolutely alive. Do you believe it? <laughs> this, uh, uh, the quote, on, and this is on the back of my copy of the script, which is, which is how I came about it. It assumes something that I'm not sure I'm ready to be on board with. Right, right. <laughs> I was having this thought, especially the second time reading through this play. Um, I was trying to pick out why two people fall in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> or why anybody spends any time with this dude at all. Not right. only why two women fall in love with him and find him remotely attractive, mm-hmm. but also, like, why does Cliff like him? Right. <laughs> I think it has, I, I um, to, to try to make it work, <laughs> I, think that, <laughs> I think that there is a magnetism to Jimmy. He is, I mean, he's, and he kind of describes this in, in the inverse. He is looking for what, he has in other people around him this kind of energy that uh that people feed off of this this kind of manic uh anything could happen at any given moment sort of energy and 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 to be ready for anything to happen at any given moment he's constantly like strategizing and trying to like poke at people and see what he can make happen in a space um and and he he describes some relationships that he's had not cliff or allison um <laughs> that give that to him he talks about a friend of his hugh uh who who will bring up again at some point hugh is a friend of his um that uh it was what like a revolutionary with him. He talks about Madeline, one of his old girlfriends who had this kind of energy. And there's something about um, being around someone like that, that, uh, <laughs> that we're asked to believe uh, kind of sets, sets that person apart, sets like a magnetism towards that person. Even Helena, the first time she's in the room, we know that they have fought on multiple occasions before, but she, uh, even when she's kind of reviling him about one of their interactions, admits to Allison that it, there's something kind of almost exciting about it. And I think that's as close as I can get to like narrowing down why two different people, one person falls out of love with him and then falls back in love. And then another, another person falls in love with him again. And Cliff spends all this time with him. Is there something exciting about being around Jimmy? Yeah. It's I mean, being even just reading the play of Jimmy is, is like going to combat. Like your adrenaline's up. Like, oh, what's going to happen now? Is yeah. he going to attack? Should I attack? What's going to happen? Um, Helena describes very late in the play. Again, Helena's the friend of Allison's, also from the wealthy upbringing, who uh, comes around and then ends up being Jimmy's affair. They they live together for a while. Um, Helena describes once Allison comes back and says that she's lost a child. Helena says, "I've figured out. I think." What's wrong with Jimmy is more or less how she says it. And she says Jimmy is a person, a man born out of his time, that he ought to have been born during the French Revolution. And this makes me think of like what a revolutionary is like. You know, I think of like the Lemiz revolutionaries. 
And those are some angry young dudes. Yeah. I mean, with the exception of Marius, who's like supposed to be an, an exception in La Biz. <laughs> right. Those are all some angry dudes. Yeah. I don't I don't know that they're cruel like Jimmy is, but I don't know that they're not either. You could sort of see Jimmy falling in with that pack of people. Absolutely, yeah. And 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 I, I, I alas, I'm not a historian, but I'm going to do my best at this moment. It's important to kind of realize when this play is written and the type of, of uh, revolutionary that these people are. These are people who are kind of, they rode through World War II, right? And uh, right before World War II, there was, uh, you know, the, the, the revolution was still happening. The start of uh, American rock and roll is about to hit. Uh, communism throughout all of uh, Middle Europe is is starting to kind of form and tenuously break. England is coming down pretty hard against communism during this time. And this revolutionary is kind of being betrayed by a lot of people around him. His friend, Hugh, who I mentioned before, has left for China. He doesn't want to do this anymore in England because England is just kind of squashing the revolution. And he, I, I think that's a valid, I, I, I kind of agree with Helena. Jimmy is kind of born out of time, <laughs> sadly for him. I mean, if there's one thing that maybe redeems the level of abuse that he throws around to people, People. No, it doesn't redeem. Explains the level of abuse that he throws around to people. <laughs> it's that he has the energy to lead and be a part of a revolution, and there's no one wanting to help him. Alas, there is no revolution for him to lead. Yeah. So what is he stuck doing? Just yelling at people in his apartment right. instead of off the streets, right? Here's the other quote I wanted to read for you. This is from the extended description at the beginning of the plague, and this is from a, a world of plays where extended descriptions are offered. Um, and if you want to read a funny and very confusing description, read the description <laughs> of Helena when she first comes on stage. That's like, I don't even know what John Osborne is trying to say in that right. description. It's who like, is who this is this? What are you saying? Anyway, this is the description of uh, one of the descriptions of Jimmy. I'm not going to read his physical description, just his uh, personality. He is a disconcerting mixture of sincerity and cheerful malice, of tenderness and freebooting cruelty. Restless, importunate, full of pride, a combination which alienates the sensitive and insensitive alike. Blistering honesty, or apparent honesty like his, makes few friends. To many, he may seem sensitive to the point of vulgarity. To others, he is simply a loudmouth. Yeah. So I, I like the last two descriptions there. To many, he seems sensitive to the point of vulgarity. To others, he's simply a loudmouth. To me, this is the Jekyll and Hyde of Jimmy. On the one hand, the guy's a loudmouth. He needs to just shut up most of the mm -hmm. time, right? He's got to just shut up. He's yeah. got to just not <laughs> say the things he's saying. On the other hand, and I think this is some of what you were getting at, part of the lashing out, the anger, the abuse that he offers comes from real pain, I mean, not, I don't. I don't think he's faking the pain he feels at the world around him. Uh, you know, in in the in the first scene of Act Two, which is when the cruelty really, really comes to a head, uh, the it's born out of his feeling that Allison is betraying him by going to church, by returning yeah. to that institution which he finds evil. Mm hmm. And and you, as this play continues, you you unfold more and more about the the previous pain that he's been through as well he had a pretty traumatic experience kind of helping his dad die pretty much when no one else would be around him which and, interesting point is is uh, autobiographical john osborne uh, went through a similar experience with his father 
That I didn't know. That doesn't doesn't surprise me because it's a very vividly explained scene um, of 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 kind of what he does with his or how he's present to his father's death, and and he, and he has a hard time looking at other people and thinking that they have a firm grasp on reality without having experienced that. Um, right. He calls Helena a virgin. That's yeah. his word because she's never seen someone die. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is, this is the barometer that he's holding or the, the comparison that he's holding other people up to. And, and so, you know, he's, <laughs> when, when that, that is among your criteria for people that you respect, that's going to be a, a short list of people <laughs> that you treat with respect. And this description of being sensitive to the point of vulgarity, to me, that helps me into the psyche of Jimmy a little bit. Not just that the cruelty is born out of being cruel. I th- now there, there's there's definitely a part of Jimmy which enjoys the cruelty. Mm-hmm. That has to be part of the character. It is, but there's also a part of him where because he's he's such a sensitive person, he 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 has such a you know he wears his heart on his sleeve so explicitly. And that heart is angry most of the time because it overreacts to the pains of the world caused around him. That's what leads to the vulgarity that we witness. But I think you made an important distinction earlier, which is that this is not redemption for Jimmy. It's just explanation. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I think that's the the thing that the Kenneth Branagh version showed me though was was a way to engage that side of Jimmy. Cuz on the page I agree with what you said earlier on. I got to the end of this play and there's so many exclamation points. It feels like a shouting match the whole time and I was like I don't know how I could sit through this play or like <laughs> have any sort of empathy for these characters and and seeing that 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 uh different version that Kenneth Branagh that that's sensitive to the point of insensitivity or, or or whatever the exact version of that is helped me because for the we watched the I watched uh, like maybe 10 minutes of of that version and there isn't much shouting that happens at all it's just like constant barrage of mid-tone uh, tenacity <laughs> uh, it's just constant talking you know yeah. that's that is the feature of Jimmy that I think a performance of him would have to capture is not the not that it's constant shouting but that Jimmy is just talking and, and yeah. what he knows how to say is insults. And so that's most of what comes out of his mouth. But yeah, yeah. there's also a lot of other words that come out of his mouth that don't mean much either. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's occasions when he's just kind of riffing on a theme until he gets a reaction from someone. Um, around that theme of like uh, getting reaction from people... <sighs> Do you hold anyone else in the scenes responsible for we've talked about some dead people who we we say might explain some things. Do you think that there's any blame to be shared on the stage with anyone else for Jimmy's position? Jimmy thinks so occasionally, I'd argue, but what do you think? Is there any credence to you know uh someone else maybe hurting him around this around this play? Yeah, this is where the question of other people, and by other people, I think we almost have to mean Allison, right? It, or Cliff, it's pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, it, I just I find Cliff to be a character that he doesn't do much antagonizing. Yeah, he's only the subject of the taunts until he decides to give it back. Really, the core question for me is what role does Allison play in her own abuse? 
Mm. Right? And that's gross. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's gross. It's gross to even think about. And that's why, you know, 2012, this play was produced off Broadway by Roundabout, like we've talked about. I have a hard time imagining another production of this play yeah. after that one. I, I just do. I think that the, the, the societal view of men like Jimmy, even since 2012, has changed. You know, mm-hmm. there's this whole community now of men who are that have that we've we've started as a broader society to learn about that are angry that they've been hurt, quote unquote hurt, to the point of lashing out and hurting others. Right. right? This is a group of men who have come into our cultural awareness now. And I just now you start to read and see Jimmy from that vantage point, don't you? So you yeah. say, what role do other people play? There, I mean, in this, in the script, that that's probably there to some degree. And so we should talk about it for that reason. But I want to be very careful to say that doesn't apply like to what how we should think about people's abuse. You know? Yeah, I I absolutely resonate with that too. And that's that's worth mentioning as we kind of dive into what what the play intends for us to take away from from the play and maybe some of the tensions there but but absolutely you can't you can't read this play and not think you know that Jimmy's Jimmy's just an abusive person and that Allison should really leave. I think this play we've already talked about the ending of this play as long as we're on this topic. I think this play could play for the most part until it's the last scene and Allison comes back. Um, I think it is an interesting story, and and I think it's compelling. I think that these characters are very interesting. The journey they go on is is a f- full of of interesting character beats. I think it's hard to see these two at the end still together and and uh, not <laughs> not uh, trying to uh, I don't know progress out of the awfulness that is the relationship a little bit. To see Allison come back to him at the end is is tough to pull off in in our, in uh, in our in our current awareness of of abusive relationships. And it's just I don't know the the character of Jimmy to me rings so strongly, stinks so badly of this like I'm so smart that I get to be angry and abusive to everybody around me because nobody gets how smart I am. <laughs> right. And so because I'm so smart, nobody wants to be around me. But it's really, you know, that right. persona, especially that male persona, is like a known persona. You know, it, it, right. this is, it's like a it's, subject it's of our cultural conversation yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. That particular personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe in five or ten years when that particular personality is not so in the foreground of our cultural conversation as it is now, this play could have a different – but it's it's just hard to experience this play now and not go right there to yeah. that exact personality, which is so – so, we're so aware of it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I, th- I think this play <sighs> – yeah, it, it like it tries. <laughs> it's from a different time, so it's hard for me to try to try to give it some of this credence. It's from you know fifty years ago, fifty plus years ago at this point. Um, it it has different characters try to stand up to Jimmy, but it's it's an angry young man play. The angry young man is the one we're following. Um, so so uh, you know Helena has plenty of beats where she doesn't kind of cow to uh his his barrage. Um, Cliff eventually will jump in between uh Jimmy and Allison in this play and like actually physically jump in some cases and shove Jimmy around to get him to stop. But, but in the end, Jimmy, Jimmy prevails in almost all of these arguments throughout the play. And so let's return to the question, which started us on this particular branch, which is what, 
what do the people around Jimmy carry in terms of their influence on Jimmy's behavior? Well, part of the reason why, and again, in only an explanation, not yep. in redemption, <laughs> only an explanation, part of the reason why Jimmy is so angry and abusive, verbally abusive, he, he's not physically abusive as far as we can tell, other than in just being sort of reckless. But we don't we don't get the sense that he beats her. I don't think. Um, yeah. Uh, so he's very most he's mostly verbally and emotionally abusive, which is you know its own terrible thing too. But right. anyway, the the reason why at least part of it is that Allison is from this wealthy upper crust. She's a representative of everything he's angry about, and the way that her family treated him when they were initially. Be getting together was exactly how he, as an angry young man, expected to be treated. They, they, you know, they, they basically kicked Allison out of the family, took away all, almost all of her money and support. They hated Jimmy. They were so they were to the point of being emotionally distraught when they eventually did get married. The mother apparently we learned this from Jimmy, and then shockingly we confirm it that it's yeah. not just some paranoid delusion. When the fa- when Allison's father tells us the same thing that the mother hired detectives and private <laughs> investigators to dig up dirt on Jimmy as a way to break them up when they were dating. Yeah. <laughs> so he has a, a lot of uh, anger towards the family around that. Um, we also discover that uh, there, there are the way that Allison copes with uh, or, or tries to uh, uh, undergo the barrage of Jimmy is by kind of just disassociating sometimes. Um, which, I mean, a much more boring version of this play is, you know, a, a counselor steps in and helps them <laughs> hear each other because what is happening through much of this play is neither of them are really listening to each other. Allison has to not listen to Jimmy because he just doesn't shut up and doesn't stop talking. Jimmy needs Allison to listen to him sometimes so that he doesn't feel like the whole wor- in the whole world he's alone. Right. Um, and- in fact, if, if Helena doesn't enter this play script... Uh, this would be the most boring play of all time. Right. Because they have all, Jimmy and Allison, by the time we come to them in Act 1, Scene 1, they've already reached the point of being two ships passing in the night. Yeah. You're right that Allison's already reached the point of numbness and mm-hmm. realizing that ignoring Jimmy is basically the best way to handle his barrage of insults. Jimmy's already reached the point where he knows Allison is ignoring him. He's already known to be hurt by that and so tries to find ways around it. Cliff has already reached the point where he can see Jimmy doing that right. and tries to head him off by sort of deflecting Jimmy's criticism back onto Cliff himself. Mm-hmm. They, they're already past some of the more, what would be the more dramatically interesting bits of figuring all that out. Yeah. So in some ways, the play is sort of about what happens when a stranger comes to an established <laughs> town, right? <laughs> right the town right. is how these three have figured out how to live together in this attic apartment. And then the stranger comes and messes it all up. Yeah. And and the I mean the apathy is is just apparent throughout the room in terms of like trying to fix something. I mean to the point that Cliff and Allison seem to have a, a openly somewhat kind of tender uh, physical relationship with each other right in yeah, front of Jimmy. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. So Allison and Cliff like hug each other, uh, which is fine for friends, but like a lot. And like, and like kiss he kisses her hand, they kiss each other on the cheeks. He Cliff is constantly talking about how beautiful you are. And one of the things that I really liked about this play 
was that I felt like John Osborne knew the weird stuff that he was putting in because characters often comment on it. So you watch act one, scene one, you watch Cliff and Allison have this odd physical affectionate relationship. And then in act two, scene one, when Helena is finally in a scene, she says, what is going on between you and Cliff? You two are so lovey dovey. Yeah. And I felt like, Oh good. He knows. Right. <laughs> Osborne knows that this was weird. Right. And it, actually this, I felt the same thing about the way that, Jimmy treated Allison. I was so uncomfortable with it in Act 1, Scene 1 because I was so worried that I was just like reading a play of a different time and the playwright <laughs> was just like, this is fine. Right, this is the way we interact. <laughs> but then Act 2, Scene 1 came around and Helena was like, this is not okay. <laughs> right. Look at the stuff he says about you. He's so angry all the And I was like, good, he gets it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, for- you know, it's like sort of, I'm just being obtuse, right? Because like the playwright gets his own play. Right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, naturally. Yeah. It's it, Helena is an interesting character in that way because we meet Helena and kind of like are ready for the breath of fresh air character. We're ready for the stranger to come into here and point out just how crazy these last two scenes have been or this let this whole last first act has been for us. And she does that to a certain extent, which kind of makes the turn that much more shocking when she kind of signs on board to the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, it really feels like it comes out of nowhere other than this brief, and we've mentioned it already, moment early in Act 2 where Helena says, yeah, Jimmy's so crazy and angry and mean and blah, 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 but it is kind of exciting. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Right. (laughs) And that's like what we get in terms of the script. Uh, Hopefully an actress is bringing out... Uh, where Helena is and, and and what she's feeling about all these situations that helps us to see forward into what inevitably happens, which is that after Allison has left, she's left a note for Jimmy, uh, which Helena gives to Jimmy, which is a uh, I'm leaving you goodbye letter. And Jimmy's very upset, as you can imagine. And Helena says, it's all your fault. You're a big brute. You're angry all the time. Oh, by the way, Allison's having a baby. And uh, Jimmy has his typically cruel reaction. I don't care if you have something, baby. Right. Blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. And you better get out of here. Or I'm going to be really upset. And Helena smacks him. And then Jimmy seems really hurt. Notably doesn't hit her back like he threatened mm-hmm. to. He seems really hurt by being smacked. And then they kiss and fall into bed together. And then it's weeks later and they're living together. That's the yeah. next scene. And she's doing a lot of the same things that Allison was doing. She's like wearing Jimmy's uh, old shirt as she's ironing the clothes for both of these guys and stuff. I, I want to back up for just a second before we get past it because that 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 beat where she slaps him and they kind of come out of uh, I, everything that you expect to happen does not happen in that moment because there was a previous scene where Jimmy talks this big game about how he doesn't believe in chivalry. He's against violence and so if... Uh, to the point that if anyone, even a woman, were to strike him, uh, thinking that he wouldn't strike her back, he would strike her back just to prove that you shouldn't have violence. Like it's it's another one of his weird yeah, tirades. Oh man, Jimmy <laughs> yeah. is he's he's oh man, he's so smart. So he's smart. So, Such I'm smartness. just a genius. I've got this figured out. I'm so nonviolent that I'll be violent to prove how nonviolent I am. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. That's sort Jeez. of Jimmy's argument. If you slap me, I'll prove how nonviolent I am through violence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yep. so this is how Act 2, Scene 2 ends. I'll just read it to you. Jimmy is, uh, he's read the letter. He's now in his outburst. He's yelling at Helena, says, The performance is over. Now leave me alone and get out, you evil-minded little virgin. If that seemed harsh... Um, that's just the tip of the that's iceberg. The, uh, yeah. you if that seemed harsh, you haven't read the play. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the play. <laughs> and then here's the stage directions. She slaps his face savagely. An expression of horror and disbelief floods his face, but it drains away, and all that is left is pain. His hand goes up to his head, and a muffled cry of despair escapes him. Helena tears his hand away and kisses him passionately, drawing him down beside her. Curtain. End of act two. Act three, scene one, several months later. <laughs> wow. Wait. They're living uh, together now. Yeah. But that that scene, there's nothing that you really expect to happen there because you expect the, the fight to just keep building. And whatever this is, whatever happens, whatever this this break to something physical uh, for Jimmy that's no longer just him being able to talk his way out of it, um, you, you expect him to strike back and he doesn't. That kind of piteous wail happens. Let me... Um... Let me just describe sort of in vague terms this plot. See if it rings of another plot to you. (laughs) There's this sort of angry, uh, upset brute that lives in a house with his wife who's definitely being abused. And they have created some sort of some sort of peace that's understandable between them. They clearly are attracted to each other and love each other deeply, but he's a brute, and there's definitely abuse in the relationship. Enter a very beautiful woman, stranger to the apartment, who comes in from a, a totally different social strata and changes <laughs> everything. She can't believe how brutishly the man is treating his wife and then in the climax of the play there's this harsh physical encounter and in this play he does not savage her in the play i'm thinking of he does savage her stella stella <laughs> how much like streetcar is this play in yeah. so many ways mhm it's just like the british intellectual version <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this this guy just like spends the whole play beating people down very much the same way that Stanley does. Only it's it's not I, I think I agree with your earlier comment. I'm not really afraid of Jimmy as a physical person. There's I'm not one, either. I'm with you. Yes. Yeah. There's, and and there's, in fact, Osborne has to go to some length to uh, establish the physical harm that that Jimmy's behavior would do to his wife. He and Cliff sort of get in this wrestling match in Act 1 that ends up knocking the iron over and burning Allison. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he could have easily just had Jimmy beat her, right? And he can imagine right. the play as he wishes. But instead, he imagines that it's sort of Jimmy's physical recklessness and disregard for the things around him that end up getting Allison hurt. Whereas uh, Stanley Kowalski is, he does not need to be so reckless to have a yeah. physical effect on Stella. Very direct. Yeah, yeah. And 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 really that that whole I think I think that all ties into him being this person who thinks he is a, a you know a paragon of intellect. Jimmy, I'm talking about. Jimmy thinks that he is a paragon of of ability to navigate the world, even to the point that like when he's mad enough to hurt someone, he throws. He admits kind of that he kind of tried to do this. He throws Cliff into the ironing board 
in the vague attempt that some of it might hurt Allison, it turns out that the iron itself hits her and it's quite a bad burn. So there's an apology and all that happens. But but that's that's his type of physical abuse. The the mental abuse, as we have discussed before, is kind of his vein. This is that that's the that's the power that he wields or attempts to wield over the people around him is this barrage of of verbal power. Right. So, so to return to what we were talking about before, this the, the sort of crucial climactic confrontation of both streetcar and of look back in anger is this tyrant of a man who runs his apartment confronting the stranger who has come to town in the form of a beautiful young woman from a different social strata the social strata his wife used to be from and now she's from this you know she's supposed to be from this social strata with him whatever Blanche in streetcar named desire uh, Helena in look back in anger the confrontation happens and in streetcar Stanley rap Savages her, right. rapes her, attacks her. That does not happen in Look Back in Anger. Look Back in Anger, Helena's very different than young Miss Blanche, right? Right, yeah. Helena chooses a very different route. Well, and it, and it sends us on like a roller coaster because Helena in that scene is the, it feels like Helena's the one in control. Like she's the one who who kind of draws him draws him into this. She slaps him and then begins to kiss him. She decides to stick around, and then in the next scene, she's ironing their clothes. It's just like it sends it sent me on whip both times I read it. I was like, "How did this happen? Right? <laughs> what has yeah, occurred?" And, and it sends you back wondering how far back does this go? Because when Allison yeah. decides that she's going to leave with her father, the father character is expecting Helena to come with them. He, in fact, he says, "Where's your bag, Helena? I'll put it in the car." And Helena says, "Oh, I'm not going." Going with you, yeah. I uh, I have an audition t- tomorrow, or I have a script or a meeting or something like that. So I'm going to stay one more night. I'll meet you later on. And I've seen this climactic scene played in two or three different productions, just from watching clips online. And I would say two of the three that I watched, the this moment where Helena finally kisses Jimmy is meant to, is is played as sort of irrational, eh, erotic in the moment. He hits her, they struggle back and forth, they're fearing, they're pushing, and then they kiss. Yeah, yeah. But is that really where the does this just come out of the spur of the moment, or has right. Helena gotten Allison to return to her parents' house so she can swoop in and have Jimmy all for herself? I don't know what it means to have Jimmy all for yourself. That doesn't sound like a great thing. But <laughs> again, that's fun, what but... the quote I read from the back. We're supposed to believe that both <laughs> right. these women are in love with him, and we can't. I mean, it's feasible if you were if you were the character playing. Uh, playing Helena, you could back it up even further than that. Helena is the person that sends the telegram that gets Allison's father to come down to, down to here. So you can, I mean, it's possible to trace this to the point that she's like looking for a venture or something like that. But again, Jimmy is just like, again, it's the excitement, I guess, that the only way we can justify that like this is this is kind of the path that Helena chooses. She wants to be around this excitement for a while. And... One of the questions that Allison's father asks her is, um, why does Jimmy want to marry her? 
he Allison they've they've talked they've kind of Allison's father uh, apparently Allison and her parents don't talk about Jimmy anymore they've been estranged for a long time all they do is write letters and Jimmy feels really betrayed because she never mentions him in her letters he says that's because my name is a dirty word in your family and you suspect it's because Allison's just trying to keep the peace and you sort of feel for the situation she's caught in but so they're writing before they haven't talked about Jimmy in fact they haven't really talked about where she's been living at all um, but the father finally comes to pick her up and they're finally talking about this and the father says Jim, man Jimmy really hates us doesn't he she says yeah he hates all of us and his father says so if he hates if, if he hates all of us if we represent all these things that he's so angry about why would he marry you because that's the other side of the coin right why are these women attracted to Jimmy and why is this angry young man feel so attracted to him wanting to be part of the relationships of these rich privileged uh, women who represent all of the things he hates about the world. He, you know, he has such loving affection for Hugh's mother, who was this sort of peasant, simple, common woman her whole life. Why is that not the kind of person that he's with instead of this? These what? Both of these wealthy women. Yeah, there's, you know, that's it's. There's a scene towards the end of the play um, that he he describes at least what he says is is his attraction to Allison. Why? Um, why he uh, kind of went across the room when they were uh, when they first met, and I think it might be something to do with the uh, he describes it as like this this relaxation of spirit, this uh, this uh, this kind of strength that that he sees in Allison that he almost desires desires in his own way to be uh, around you know it's a different different strength it's not a manic strength we see allison be very strong throughout this whole play this kind of calm water of strong that eventually breaks that eventually has to get away from this uproar all the time but i i think what i i don't know if this necessarily applies to helena but at least as far as allison goes i think jimmy is attracted to the her her ability and 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 perhaps I I don't have the, uh, the 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 British perspective to say whether this is is born out of uh, born out of the class but um but that that ability to stay still in 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 the maelstrom of life and of Jimmy <laughs> that that might be a good chunk of why he is so pulled at least to Allison yeah the the sense that I think what you're saying is the the sense that he's, you know, he's part of this feeling of turmoil and passion, and things need to change, and we need to cause the change. Da, 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 da. And and someone like Allison comes from a social strata of not having to worry about that kind of stuff. So she carries with her a peace. You know, she says she's after peace so often throughout the play that maybe Jimmy's also he's attracted to the peace. Mm-hmm. He's even he's even kind of decent to her father, um, who he describes as I mean not not holy, um, but there's there there are moments in the play where he's like, I kind of understand where the old boy is coming from. He, you know, went off to India in 1914 and came back in 1940-something, and, and he's completely left behind. He's part of an old era of people, and it must be hard for him to have to, you know, come from a place where you ate tea cakes and stuff like that at noon to the world that we're living in now. So I think he kind of, I think he, he sees he sees something in that world that he kind of wishes he had, um, but he he can't have it. And every time he kind of approaches it, it doesn't pan out for him all that well. On the other hand, this is how Al. This is what Allison says when her father asks, "Why would he have married you?" Feeling as he did about everything, Allison says. 
That is the famous question, you know, the $64 one. Perhaps it was revenge. Oh yes, some people do actually marry for revenge. People like Jimmy, anyway. Yep. <laughs> so that's that's the other world, maybe, is that Jimmy saw a way for him to cause, this is the cruelest version of Jimmy, he saw a way f- to cause some pain to a wealthy, privileged family mm-hmm. uh, by seducing and carrying off their daughter and breaking the family in half and right. causing the pain to the parents out of revenge for the pain the world has caused him. Yep. And I really want to agree with that. Um, but <laughs> It's just not very sympathetic, is it? <laughs> but that, that feels like an appropriate response to what Jimmy is in this play. However, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to go back to what the play says again. There is this weird, there's this weird, loving, touching scene at the end where they like find love for each other again via this game that they play when they are the uh it, it kind of reminds me of the dinner with friends game um that that comes at the end of dinner with friends we done dinner with friends last season um this this way that they kind of reset to something that they can play in and and in that playing they can leave aside some of the the vitriol that they've been throwing at each other mostly jimmy has been throwing um but it's this this game that they play where uh jimmy pretends he's a bear allison pretends she's a squirrel and they talk to each other as as if they are a bear and a squirrel and are trying to navigate a dangerous world together. And, and it's this, it's this touching moment between them. So I don't, I, perhaps the revenge is part of the equation. I don't, I don't doubt that some of it is just uh, Jimmy wanting to stick it to the family a little bit, but I, I, I don't know that I can, I can read scenes of this play and not think that there is or was a moment where they had some genuine love for each other. And, And so, this conversation about this game that they play, it's this bear and squirrel game, this game of being animals. Um, one of the reasons structurally why the father doesn't ask that question reverse, the question he asks is, why did, uh, why did Jimmy marry you? Uh, and it, it may feel more natural for him to ask, why did you marry Jimmy? But right. as the audience, we don't need Allison to answer that question again because she actually already has. Early in Act 2, once Helen is around, uh, Helena says, that's what I don't understand. Why did you, and Allison says, marry him? And she gives some answers. Um, she One of the answers is that her family just come back from India and things were changing and things like that. But then there's also this, she says, Jimmy went into battle with his axe swinging around his head, frail and so full of fire. I'd never seen anything like it. The old story, knight in shining armor, except that his armor didn't really shine very much. Mm-hmm. So there's that sort of lends itself to this sense of sort of excitement and adrenaline that being around somebody with, with Jimmy's sort of energy lends it to. But then there's this game that we keep coming back to, this stuffed animal game where they pretend to be animals. And Allison basically says, we have gotten to this point where we can sort of forget our humanness. <laughs> and just revel in being affectionate towards each other, and that's it, right? Right. Now that <laughs> I, I I so wish I could go back fifty some years and watch that scene and feel what it's like, because <laughs> like 
Where did, you know, it's like it's a really cool artistic moment, and in my mind, it's like, oh, what a cool way for them to navigate, you know, some sort of hardship. It's like, but but maybe this was just seen as like dissociative personality problems, <laughs> and and also <laughs> quite uncouth for the British audience <laughs> that was watching it. I mean, but this is the final image of the play, right? They're they're playing this squirrel and bear game at the end of the play, and I can't help but see it as kind of this moment where we're supposed to say they they still have feelings for each other after all of this stuff throughout this play. So this is how Allison describes the game. Um, it, it was one way of escaping from everything. She's she's just described these two stuffed animals, the bear stuffed animal and the squirrel stuffed animal that they keep on their dresser. She said, Jimmy's the bear and I'm the squirrel. And then she says, it, it was the one way of escaping from everything, a sort of unholy priesthole of being animals to one another. We could become little furry creatures with little furry brains, full of dumb, uncomplicated affection for each other, playful, careless creatures in their own cozy zoo for two, a silly symphony for people who couldn't bear the pain of being human beings any longer yeah and so jackson what causes this this so this is how this the play ends right with this image of them being these furry little animals again they're being bear and squirrel what is the life event that causes allison to return to the apartment again after months several months the script says yeah so we learned uh quite quite tragically that she has lost the uh the child that she was carrying um and uh, she she uh, loses the child, and and then more specifically begins to th- this this is the real tough like stuff begins to think about how this is the position that Jimmy wanted to see her in for a very long time, <laughs> and and something to do around that headspace prompts her over and over again. She says that she like tries to come back a couple times and manages to stop herself, but something about needing closure around that topic that that's me really spinning it but but she needs some closure around uh jimmy accusing her of not having lost anything throughout her whole life and so she returns and and confronts jimmy again and they discover that there's more there to be said well we should say that this this is not just allison pulling from the wind um in uh, i forget if it's act one or two Jimmy actually says, "He's like straight up says that." I wish you would get pregnant and lose the child. It's awful. And this is just after Allison has admitted in confidence to Cliff that she's pregnant, and Cliff has said, "You should tell Jimmy. You should tell him, and Uh it'll be okay if you tell him. It'll be fine." And then before she can tell him, Jimmy says, "You don't really know what it's like to lose anything. I wish you'd get pregnant and lose the child." (laughs) Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. That, and and that that might be close to about as bad as this play gets. Is is is, is around that scene. <laughs> it's that it's is painful yeah. to watch. But so yeah, but, that actually happens. Mm-hmm. And she, it's it's foreshadowed and it and it comes about and loses a child. But so I think where I was headed with that was that she talks about that they go into this place of being having this sort of dumb animal affection for one another as a way to escape the pain of being human. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, man. The pain of being human, how else, how more extreme could it manifest itself than losing a child? Right. Mm-hmm. And so what does she do to escape the pain of being human? She comes back to try to just experience this dumb affection again. Yeah. And and comes back to a place that she knows that she can. She hasn't been a part of her family in however many years. So, you know, she kind of discovers that she she 
needs to come back to forget at, at least for a time. Like at the very least we leave this play knowing that they will spend some more time together. Now Cliff is gone. So their dynamic is fundamentally different. Um, so who knows what's going to happen after this play, but they, they both need each other at the end of this play. They need to both kind of forget the pain because uh, Jimmy is not free of pain at the end of this either. He's lost the mother of his close friend, Hugh dies. And he, he again has to kind of be the only one there to help uh, a close kind of parent figure for him die. Um, and will be uh, burying her uh, the, the coming week. So he's in the middle of grieving as well. There's a lot of, I mean, he, and, and hopefully he's grieving the loss of his child as well, although he doesn't say that. Um, so there's, there's, uh, there's a lot that they're both carrying at the end of this play, and they, at least for some time, still need each other. And this might be one of those places where I think it might be okay for the audience to hope for something different now than they would have in the 50s. Because I, I it is my sense that the original hope is that you see uh, Jimmy and Allison get back together and you say, Oh goodness, I hope it works out for them. <laughs> right. right. No, I'm glad that they found each other again. I hope their, I hope their relationship works out. And now I think my sense, or at least my hope uh, in the experience of the play is, Oh, I, I hope they're both able to get over their pain a little bit and then they never see each other again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for this episode. <laughs> Uh, it's a different play nowadays it Uh, is and and 2012 is a fairly recent production for it to be off broadway and you know adam driver was in it it looks like an awesome production the kind of stuff that i really love that Mm -hmm. high concept imagine it's just really cool but it even seven well now it's eight years later um it it's hard to imagine what how this play would be yeah uh, produced for these modern audiences and and that might be a good thing. You know, we have to look back on the way theater has changed year after year after year. And we can look back at this play as this crucial moment that did so much good for theater and also feel uncomfortable about the play itself. It's possible to be both things at the same time. Absolutely. And I don't think that this story is any less true. It's just, we have a heightened awareness of its prevalence in our society. And so, so to find a way to still tell this true story, um, would be an interesting production. I think still, you just have to navigate how true it is. Um, if 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 you if you have read this play though if you have seen this play if you especially if you have seen this play I think because we're both as we're ending this talking around what it would be like to experience this play in person maybe you saw the 2012 version or maybe you just read the play if there's anything you want to discuss around look back in anger by John Osborne we'd love to keep having this conversation with you you can find us on Facebook Instagram Twitter or Gmail uh, the username on all those social media sites are at NoScript Podcast the Gmail is NoScript Podcast at gmail.com send us a message on any of those sites and we'd love to keep talking about this play with you if you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes we'd really love for you to tell people about it we've got we're into our fourth season now we've had a lot of conversation about plays if you know somebody that likes plays they definitely know at least one of the plays we've talked about most people that you know probably know at least one play that we've talked about in our now um, you know more than three seasons of the show so please recommend the podcast to a friend that's a great way that you can help us out you can direct them to find our podcast on Podbean on Spotify on Apple Play or Apple Play on Apple Podcasts <laughs> or Google Play we also post a link to each new episode every Monday on our Facebook so you can find us there as well 
Yeah, so until next week when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us in our conversation about Look Back in Anger by John Osborne. We'll see you next week for another great script. Bye. Bye.